0: Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd I'm Heather Burnt Santee And I've got Lisa Murphy with me again Hello Um, You did like a, I don't know, like a look up when I said hello And I thought, God, did I say it that loud? Like you were (laughs) leaning away But I think you just were, yeah
1: Just celebrating your day or something, I don't know (laughs) I was celebrating the fact that there's no snow here in Florida (laughs) Uh, Well, there's none in Indiana either but I'm going to Minnesota on Thursday. <laughs> Yikes.
0: Yeah, I'm going to Nebraska in a week. So I imagine I'll find some along that route. Hmm. Yes, ma'am. Probably not as much as Minnesota, Jamie. I miss snow, though. I don't get enough in Indiana. Mm. And the Indiana people think that's crazy. But <laughs> um, So anyway, we are going to talk about a quote from the book, The Great Disconnect, by Michael Gramling. Um, and Great book. A great book. It is a great book. And that's one that um, sometimes I'll start a book and I'm highlighting so much that I think it would be easier to highlight the stuff that wasn't interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and this book was one of them. Um, or I, I'm reading it and I think I'm going to read this so many times that I just have it all memorized. Exactly. Just pull all this out. Um, but so far, I haven't done it that many times yet.
1: <laughs> but
0: it, this might also I, be on no. my list.
1: I wrote, um, I, I'll, I'll use different color highlights and then put the year of when I read it. And it's kind of interesting to see where, like, there's certain phrases that every time you read it, you're drawn to. And then yeah. other times it's like, huh, that one wasn't as big for me. Or this was like, ah. And I, I think it's a nice reflection, uh, like a mirroring of where you are in your own path, you know? Ooh, that's
0: a good idea. Um, I don't know if I could do that because... Uh, I don't like other than yellow highlighters for some
1: reason. Fair enough. But I
0: have definitely bought another copy of the same book to reread and (laughs) re-highlight.
1: You crack me up.
0: (laughs) It's a problem. Um, So here's the quote. Uh, Oh, wait, that's the last quote we did. Here's the real quote. I've heard this one before. If her kindergarten teacher is going to make her miserable next year, we better make her miserable now so she can get used to it. And that seems sort of exaggerated, but it's not. I have absolutely heard people say, maybe not miserable, but I have I had an executive director of an agency that I worked for that ran several child care centers who, in a conversation about what should we be doing to get kids ready for school, essentially said that, yeah, yeah. we know it's bad, but we got to get them ready for it. We're not helping them yeah. to send them unprepared into
1: this bad system. I, I honestly, <coughs> if I was to whittle down kind of the core of, of my message, which would be probably difficult to do. But I think yes, this, this is essentially, this would be one of those bullet points of, of like the, at the heart, especially when I do the experiences workshop. And, mm-hmm. and lately I've, I've started actually, and it's, this is very dramatic, but <laughs> I think it makes the point of, of, I, I mean, I, I literally, I put my arms out and I say that I've started seeing my role as a protector to circle back even to the last episode of childhood, Uh you know, which doesn't mean we're not uh, aware of their developmental trajectory. We're not turning a blind eye, you know, however, nobody's going to be successful at anything. If their foundation has gaping holes in it. Mm -hmm. And the conversation that I had last week with some people at the gig was one of why would you get them ready for something that is inappropriate? Mm -hmm. You know, why? Why? And, and and why would you do that? And if and if on your own time you're not fighting the system to make where they're going to next year more developmentally appropriate, if you're not gonna fight that fight, then you at least need to fight the fight of making sure that what they have when they're with you is as developmentally appropriate as possible. Mm-hmm. And 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 so to to get somebody ready for bad school, I mean, and Alfie Cohen got ba bum 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 hearts in our eyes, <laughs> right, right? Yeah, long bon, right. long <laughs> I I heard Alfie say that at a group at a workshop in Ontario, California, like in 1990 something. And he's like, why room with Alfie Cohn? Oh, my God, it was awesome. And of course, I sat right up front. And every time I email him, I know for sure he knows exactly who I am. (laughs) Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. Um, no that's okay he but said. but he said that why would you get them ready for bad school and I've never ever ever forgotten that uh if you've heard me do the workshop I will often say if you knew a famine was coming would you start starving them to get them ready and people laugh at how ridiculous that is I mean our, our profession is filled with these little sound bites that we all laugh at you know you, the, the, should I put shoes on a newborn you don't know no. well they're gonna walk next year so we should put exactly. shoes on them next it's ridiculous we, we know how ridiculous it is but it's like our filter, it's like we get stupid when it comes to this particular topic. And, and I guess I'm taking advantage of the fact that, you know, I'm in my fifties now (laughs) to not be so nice. Is that how it works? It it is. That's when you're allowed to to start being a little more snarky. Well,
0: and I, I say to people all the time, you know, I'm not going to go in and pick up a three month old baby hold her up on her feet let go and then get upset that she falls or judge teachers because she falls i'm going to understand that she's not ready for that yet that's awesome but we but but you're right and and for some reason and it's this disconnect and one of the things that that gramling says in the book is like there's this is a huge just paraphrase but there's no field in which the gap between what we know and what we do is wider than mm. in early childhood sometimes
1: so but I'm it, gonna jump in on that, sure.
0: <laughs>
1: because in Giants in the Nursery, uh-huh. sorry guys, if you're listening, I have a, I have a, I have a little bit of a cold, which, which I hate having to admit. But anyway, <laughs> I'm I, sorry, you're <laughs> only human after all. Damn it, I am not, despite um, reports to the contrary. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the Great Disconnect, one of the things I, no, excuse me, no, Giants in Giants the in the Nursery. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really appreciated about the intro, because he talks exactly to that, oh. and he says that there isn't actually, he goes, we actually very much have a consistent, not fragmented history. Our profession is not disconnected. What's disconnected is the implementation mm-hmm. of what we know. So maybe actually that is the same thing, that disconnect between the theory and the practice, but but that we're not necessarily a fragmented profession, the way that some people are saying, but but what's actually fragmented in a and inconsistent way. <laughs> is is how we're executing what we know. Right. We know what we know, right. what we know, right. but we're really bad at, at acting on it. Yeah. And I agree with you. You know what? If you, and if you flip it, everybody likes to go to the medical profession, right? So you know, if if there was this kind of a disconnect between how doctors were acting on a regular basis, the world would go up in arms, you know. Mm-hmm. But for some reason. And I think that it does come back, and I'm just rambling off the yeah. top of my head, but I really do believe that that because the people in this profession are not seen as you know people who actually understand or know what they're talking about, that the people automatically assume that because we work with babies that we must be babies ourselves. Sure. And so people try to tell us how to do. We, we, like, get treated like we have no idea what we're doing. Mm-hmm.
0: But part of me thinks most of us must believe it, too, in our heart of hearts because we don't fight it. So if, you know, with with the baby example, we all believe that about babies. We've seen it. It's been our experience. We know that they don't walk until they're ready to walk. And they've had all these foundational experiences to build all those muscles that they need for that. (coughs) But we don't fight it as much when we're talking about getting them ready for
1: kindergarten. And so that to me says, do we ask
0: the question, do we really believe then?
1: I, I really do believe – some people do. Some people will say, oh, no, this is horrible, and I can't believe I'm expected to do this. But at the end of the day, I think you're right. They they, they either don't believe it or they're not as confident. Sure. Um, uh, confidence uh, definitely factors in. Confidence is huge. I, I do think – and this is horrible of me to say, but it's true – a lot of people in our profession are scared. Of people in suits or with uh-huh. name tags or with clipboards, and they give all of their power up to people who have no knowledge in early childhood education, uh-huh. and and then and then the the part of that that is so toxic and dysfunctional is that then they they don't say anything, but they know they should, and so then the guilt comes in, or then they feel torn between you know doing what they know is best practice versus losing my job, yeah, and and I and I guess and maybe it's the Maybe it's the, the, the point of view of having the position, the job wise that I have, uh-huh. but you're not doing anybody any good if you stay at a job that that is making you sick. And and some of I think the symptoms that some of these people share with me on the weekends, like that is the reason why you have migraines and are constipated and, and are, your marriage is about ready to collapse is because you come home every day and you barf about how miserable things are. So maybe there's room to change it, and you're just too nervous. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we that's something we can overcome. But to never, ever, 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 ever do anything ab- about those disconnects, I don't know. I, I think it's unethical. Mm-hmm. I, really, I really, really do. If you do get too. fired for demanding a, a work environment that allows you to execute and implement best practice, then call me, and I will write a letter of praise <laughs> for that. Yeah. You know, if you get fired because you're never on time and because, you know, whatever, you know, that kind of crap, I, I don't have any time or patience for that. But if you're standing up for best practice and you get asked to leave, mm-hmm. I want to know about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're better served at McDonald's and Barnes & Noble. And I know we always default to that kind of stuff. But, right. you know, it, it's not worth it being miserable.
0: Mm-hmm. True. But, I've, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been in that. I've been on the other side of it. Um, and it is scary. I, you know, I've I've lost two jobs because of trying to stand up uh, for what what I thought was right and knew was right. And I don't, we don't need to turn this into Heather's therapy or whatever. But and then I, you know, I had a hard time finding a job. And so when I had a job, then I was like, "Ooh, I better just play this game for a while." Um, but it was miserable. And in the end, I had to get out because it really. It really was toxic, and that's a I think a buzzword sort of now, but there's truth in it. it. But um, it is yes that that
1: maybe you should do an episode where you have people share their why I, when I got fired for standing up for what was right episode. Mm, that's a good idea. I'm right. I, I got fired twice. I lost two jobs. For yeah. That. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. Um, but I also will- to that that where I was living at the <laughs> time. Was, was the population was dense enough to where there was a job right around the uh-huh. corner, you yeah. know. And and I know that a lot of your listeners, a lot of our listeners as well, are in more remote areas where you can't even say anything outside of the building because everybody in town knows the owner. Right. Everybody went there. There's only one option, right. you know. And, and the and,
0: kindergarten teacher is your sister-in-law.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it gets a little enmeshed, I believe, yeah. the technical for yeah Um, so
0: and you know this probably this these conversations i think inevitably um you know sort of hurt the feelings of elementary school teachers and i know they're also in a system that but but think of the power we would have if we all just stood up and said no yeah if if we could all just come together on that um and it, it also is sort of funny to me there's this God, maybe this is you know in the last episode Lisa said something. She was like, "This is probably going to lose you listeners." This is what's going to lose me listeners right now. But there's there's this culture where we can't question or criticize public school teachers. Some of them uh, are wonderful, but like every field, not everybody's wonderful. There are some folks who who aren't doing what they should be doing or um, are not where they should be. We there's but there's this attitude that we can't question them. But early childhood teachers, we don't have to listen to a thing they say. <laughs> Right. right but but it, once you get into that so that's sort of frustrating for me on the in this conversation too is at what point do do we say um we're all just gonna stand up together because we think this is wrong
1: oh that would be awesome wouldn't it? Be wouldn't that a beautiful day be, it would be a beautiful day there'd be songs and right. music in the back and a unicorn flying right. i've got um, hymns in my head right now <laughs> the the thing i'm gonna add to that and and i'm um, maybe it's, it's not a devil's advocate, but it's maybe a baby devil's advocate. Okay. Is, is and Because this is what I say in my workshop, because I do believe this. I mean, uh-huh. at the end of the day, if, if the kid has had the best preschool experience possible, and by best, I mean the most developmentally yes. appropriate, play-based, like everything that we always are talking about, uh-huh. a lot of choice, um, you know, self-expression, yeah. DAP, all, all, if band. that has happened, <laughs> when they do transition into kindergarten into a system that perhaps is not as developmentally appropriate as they should be, Uh if, in fact, the five years that they've had up until that point was a true childhood, most children are able to make that transition into that system a lot more successfully than the children who've had a preschool experience Mm -hmm. that was a watered-down version of what's going to be expected that kindergarten year. Absolutely. I I have found that parents believe that. Mm -hmm. I'm giving them everything right now so that, you know, when they do make that transition, they'll, they'll be a little bit more ready mm-hmm. for some of those inappropriate expectations. Mm-hmm. But in order for that transition to be successful, that means that the childhood that they've had up until that point needs to be as pure as sounds mm-hmm. very, you know, as the violin, but right. you, you know what I'm, <laughs> I'm saying. Yeah, and, I and do, and that, I agree. That's what I don't believe that early childhood people believe. Right. I think early childhood people have lost faith. In the the true power of a play based childhood,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and I've I've written about this. I think about so when I when I think about get, you know school readiness efforts in early childhood, one of the biggest parts of that I think is like the circle time experience. <laughs> um, and so I've written about this that if we've got children who aren't ready for circle time, and we're forcing them into circle time, what we're doing it you know by punishing them or scolding them or whatever for for not being ready for that experience yet what we're doing is teaching them to develop escape behaviors Mm -hmm. to get out of that unpleasant experience and that's something they're going to have to unlearn when they get to school and they're expected to function as part of a group because they have this history of bad experiences with that group and that could translate to table work or you know, whatever that, that might be. So we think we're doing all this in the name of readiness, but in fact, we're giving them more things that their kindergarten teacher is going to have to teach them out of.
1: That is an awesome point, Heather. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: My, um, that all started, I, so I wrote it when I had a blog. I wrote a blog post about that, which started when I argued with an early childhood professor about that idea. Um, but I believe that. I think we do so much, and so many children learn that they aren't good at school, um, by the time and they learn it when they're three, three and four years old, yeah, and then they have to start this school experience with all that baggage instead of having had just that rich childhood where they learn that yes. they are accepted by the adults around them and supported by the adults around them, and the environment is a good place, and I feel good about all this, um, and and then we send them off, and they're better able to to fit into the system that they go to.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> If in fact, I'm not out there changing that system that they're going to be kind of sucked into, that is, that's my, the role that I play as the protector of that time frame prior to the entry into that kinder, uh-huh. right? That's, and that's what I think I was saying and what I meant by that, that guardian, like yeah. that, at least this is going to be as developmentally appropriate as, 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 as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think also when it, and, and, and this, I think is essentially saying what you just said, if those first years before entry haven't been filled with those power struggles, sit down, be quiet, get in line, when they make that transition and somebody asks that of them, because they don't have that history of it turning into uh-huh. a power struggle all the time, <laughs> they're like, oh, you know, why not? <laughs> well, especially, and this also is people forgetting what we know about child development, five and six-year-olds love rules. They love rules. They love to know the rules, and they get really mad when uh-huh. kids aren't following the rules. Uh-huh. And you know, purely just using what we know about a typical 5 and 6 year old, of course they're going to get with the program. Now again, I'm I've got that asterisk there that I'm not saying that those are expectations uh-huh. necessarily that should be put on them. However, yeah. they're going to be more inclined to do it simply because it hasn't been an issue prior. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's it's developmental, right? It's Eric Erickson. We know that, you know, 3 and 4 year olds are working on what is it, initiative versus guilt. So if all day long their ideas – they're being told that the idea they are taking initiative on is the bad, wrong idea, then they don't yeah. get to work through that little crisis that that Erickson says they're working through at that time. And so then they're not ready for the next one. Um, but if they've had that experience that I can be trusted and I don't have to feel bad about myself, yep, then why wouldn't they just jump right in? You know, there's always bumps or whatever. The other thing that I – this is switching gears, but the other thing that I hate about this is – um, you know, there's there's no definition of readiness. There's 112 definitions of readiness. And so which one do we think we're getting them ready for?
1: <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I, I haven't had a readiness conversation with anybody over the last five years without them, without me asking them to tell me what, what they mean, mean, mean by that. And, and I don't like to sound like <coughs> it sounds like it comes to that, but it's 100% true. This last Saturday, actually, at the gig, I, I told them, I said, I'm giving you professional and personal permission for the rest of your career to be comfortable pausing a conversation to get a definition especially when people use buzzwords especially yeah. you know words like readiness and academic and, and and all of that and don't ever ever assume that just because we're in the same profession that we have the same definition mm-hmm. and that's that's huge what yeah. yeah what do you mean by ready yeah you can count to 100 but he can't wipe his ass you know that's <laughs> like balance, right exactly.
0: Yes, exactly. One of my, fa- the ass wiping argument, one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> um. So like in Indiana, and I haven't read every state standards, but in Indiana, the, the. Oh, I did. Oh, <laughs> I, I know that you have. So, but we don't need to go state by state. But so the, the kindergarten standards. Right. Say that by the end of their kindergarten year, that's when they need to have all their letters and numbers and write their name or whatever. But I talked to so many parents who think that they have to have all that to get to school. And I think that there's a, a, like a placement test that kids in Indiana do, or at least in our local school corporations do, to determine whether they're quote-unquote ready, ready for kindergarten. And that's a lot of it. So sometimes I feel like what those teachers are asking us to do is their work so, yeah. that, so that they have it easier when the kids get to school because we've already put so much effort into the things that they've got a whole year to have the children showing. Mm. once they're there. And I wonder if that's the case in other places, in other
1: states with their standards. Um, when I did the Wolf Workshop, yeah. which we're getting ready to release, re-release. Yes. Um, I love that the Wolf, was, Wolf Workshop. <laughs> thank you. And I'm loving the direction that it's going to be going Good. into. But anyway, that's yeah. a story for another day. <laughs> um, that was That was always like a, a big aha moment for the audience. Even yeah. people in the profession was, you know, it says at the end of, uh-huh. not the beginning. And that placement test is mm-hmm. optional and uh-huh. at the end of the day the only readiness criteria and people hate it when i say this but it's true is a birth date right you know and i'm not saying that it would have been an ideal situation however if you had been under a rock until your state said you could legally enter kindergarten they need to take you yep and and th- nobody likes to admit that mm-hmm you know, and, and, but we forget, we get so, so we spiral out of control and think that they have to have it all mastered. And, you know, that, and then that's more, I think of that reflection of the inconsistency in our profession, right? Because Mm -hmm. out of one side of our mouth, we say there's a, you know, a a developmental trajectory and not everybody's doing everything at the same time, Mm -hmm. but yet the States have standards that say, you know, by the end, every kid will. That's not how it works. Yep. And the garden analogy is (coughs) it's 100% accurate is, you know, you don't plant a seed and and you know, put a flashcard in front of it and tell it to grow. <laughs> you know, yeah. we don't do that, and we we appreciate that some plants take to the soil and some don't. And everybody need they need the light. You know, we know what uh-huh. it needs, uh-huh. but sometimes the plant dies, and sometimes we get one that just goes absolutely crazy. And 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 that's what schools should look like. Yep. And yeah, it takes time. It yeah. takes time. It takes patience. It takes flexibility. It takes realizing that, or or acknowledging yeah. that it would be a lot easier. Yeah, to it just takes say,
0: a really skilled teacher. We yes, should it we does. should we should really be like, yes, I want to be that teacher because that's what really proves that I'm a, you know,
1: the that kind of teacher. But it's it's a difficult. So. And if not really, you need to be like a trap door and go down to the dungeon and never to be seen from again. <laughs>
0: I always love trapdoor imagery. Thank you for bringing that into my day today. <laughs> so, and and for all that I sort of get frustrated with Nacy, um, they do have a really good school readiness posi- position statement that essentially says just that the only reason, and they have another piece that's called still unacceptable trends in kindergarten entrance or something like that. Oh. Um, and one of the things they say is just that, that chronological age should be the only determining factor. And their position statement talks about having ready schools and ready mm. families and ready children.
1: And it's, you know, it's a bigger picture thing, but. Um, that's dossier, man, 1970s, the schools should be getting ready for the children. Yeah. I mean, my yeah, God, how long have you she yeah. was awesome. Have that little book, the little dossier book. Yes. yes, I do. Right here
0: behind me. I can't say her <laughs> last name, so everyone's just going to have to <laughs> Google DOCIA early childhood. <laughs> and you can find her. <laughs> yeah, that's a great book. Again, timeless. You know, you could go back and it would it would fit. Um I don't know why it's so hard. I th- I think part of it is teacher ego and I've talked about this a lot that I have to measure myself by what other people can see. And it's easier to see group participation and ABCs and um, counting than it is to see, you know, really true intellectual depth that's going on inside children's minds.
1: But but it's. Alfie says terrific teachers have teeth marks on their tongues. (laughs) That's smart.
0: He's smart. He is. Um so I watched I watched this small group activity once where the the goal was classification. We were gonna teach they, the teacher was gonna teach children how to classify because that was a you know on a list of standards that they would <laughs> they would start classifying, you know, at three, four, five years old.
1: Meanwhile they had been doing it in the dress up center <laughs> organically for exactly. the last hour and a half. Or blocks <laughs> or yeah.
0: They they're classifying all the time or conversation. But so they had hung up pictures of an ocean, a forest, a farm maybe those were the only three and then kids were pulling printouts of animals okay out of this hat essentially and that's why it was playful because it it was a funny hat (laughs) um and then they had to tell the teacher they had to classify which place that animal lived and um this little girl pulled out the duck and put it in the forest and the teacher said, no, a duck lives on the farm and like just took it away from her and put it in the right spot, Jeez. whatever. And the little girl walked over to me and I was just sort of in an observation role that day. She walked over to me and she said, but there's a pond in the forest picture and a duck needs a pond. And that was so much deeper than what that teacher was asking her to do. And I thought it was an amazing moment. Dumbing <laughs> where down. I, where I actually got to see how we dumb things down and have such low expectations For children, in the name of standards that are supposed to be raising expectations for children,
1: that story kind of makes my heart
0: hurt. I know Uh, she's (laughs) gonna be fine. (laughs) Oh yeah,
1: see that's true, right? Those are the kids that they're like, yeah, whatever. Okay, so she was,
0: you know, and she. It was just so funny that she didn't argue with her teacher at all. But she walked over to me, and she's like, "So here's what I was thinking there."
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Let me, let me. I can. I got the vibe that you actually can. Uh, yeah, appreciate. I
0: we're on the same level. <laughs> this
1: You're teacher's like, not ready yet. Bad, right. Let me. Let me tell you where my brain was actually going with this.
0: Oh, I haven't thought about that story in a long time. I loved her.
1: Isn't that funny? how Sometimes, like a story, will just like be be dormant for a while, <laughs> and then something triggers it back again. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like Harry Potterish, like I wish I had a pensive that I could like, you know, like all of the stories could come out one day, you know, and then somebody could transcribe them and write them in a book so that, you know, they're all there, that would all be those cool. stories,
0: all um, the
1: anecdotes in my brain.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know any Harry Potter stuff.
1: Oh, you don't? That's um, why you make funny other face. Other than I had a real thing for the Weasley twins. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> Still so different. Dumbledore, the, the 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 principal of the school, the head guy of the school, he he can use his wand and he puts it by his ear and like memories will drain oh. into this pool of water and he called it a pensive. Pensive. That's that's clever. Nice.
0: Mm-hmm. My only other Harry Potter thing, and I'll just throw it in. Uh, my daughter told me once that I was like a hot Mrs. Weasley.
1: <laughs> oh, I could see that. I could see that.
0: So whatever. So a pensive. I'm actually writing that down because I think that's cool.
1: Well, you know, sometimes at night when my brain is going too fast, which it doesn't do so much anymore, but for a while that was hard for me to fall asleep at night, I would actually use that as imagery of, you know, use your wand and like drain it out. It'll be there in the pool tomorrow morning, (laughs) you can get it back again, but for right now you need to drain it out of your head. Nice.
0: Um, Well, I hope I haven't lost points with any listeners for saying I don't know Harry Potter stuff. Uh, We'll forgive you. Any of the other things that I said in this episode. Like, that's what you're worried about? Like, that? Yeah. <laughs> of all the other things I've said. Um, I don't know. Anyone's listening. They probably expect that from both of us.
1: Those kinds of things.
0: Um, any last thoughts? Any any parting shots you want
1: to? No, I think I said the sound bites mm-hmm. that I like to make sure get captured when it yeah. comes to the specific topic yeah. stop getting I mean I, it's an ethical issue I mean Absolutely. it really it's when when push comes to shove you are engaging in unethical behavior mm-hmm. when you compromise DAP and best practice in the name of readiness right and you know if any of your listeners want to chat more about that feel yeah. free to give me a call but yeah. I really do think that I, I think we've been scared to draw that line in the sand and and I'm I'm like yeah I think it I think it might be time it's okay I'm not to do, it. do that I'm not contribute to the problem right. you know at the end of the day I'm not the boss of what is happening in kindergarten and grade ones and, and, and I I'm not even sure I want to be mm-hmm. um but I'm not going to contribute to the problem right. that's going on there
0: right so and just to to throw in a plug for our Monday night study hall that we've started doing um, the first one. Was the week before the last, I think, and we we discussed this article. So every every other Monday, we have an article that we have all read, and we discuss it on online and Zoom. And if you want more information, you can find it on Playvolutionhq.com. But anyway, the first step, the first uh, meeting, we read this article that that you and I had talked about already, which was a woman. Oh, that DAP one. What? That DAP one. Yeah, a long time ago, uh-huh. making a case that um, no child left behind was developmentally appropriate practice because it was part of the children's culture, um, and using Yuri Bronfenbrenner as a, and, and, I, and that's what the consensus of the, of the study hall conversation was that it was, eth- it was unethical. It was a professional, professionally unethical position to take and sort of an easy way out of a difficult conversation. Um, and Ooh. I think, I think we just have to get beyond that. We have to step up and say above all, do no harm and children are being harmed with, with this idea that we've gotta make a miserable now to be ready to be miserable next, next year. year. Or even in three years sometimes. I mean we're starting it ridiculously early. But all right. Well we've probably beat that one. <laughs> but in a good way. Yeah, yeah, in a good way, yeah. So thanks Lisa for being on again. Thanks, thanks everybody for, for listening. Goodbye. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.